sender receiver message and means. So when I think message, I think the what you're saying. And I love that part of it because you can you can change who says it or who hears it or where it comes from to completely change the meaning of a message. So there's um, maybe the, the, the word that comes to mind after I think message is potential energy, not necessarily kinetic energy, because mm. you've got more to do after you've come up with what you're going to say. I love that idea of potential energy and messages having potential energy, right? Because until you get it out there, <laughs> you do something with it, you get it in front of people. And as you said, thinking through kind of who, who's sending to who's receiving it, who you want to receive it, who needs to send it. I love breaking it down into those four pieces. Welcome to Message Engineer for the MedTech Startup. Do you want a clear message that resonates, compelling message that scales, competitive message that nails your unique value? On this show, we interview guests across medical device disciplines to help you communicate and message powerfully. Your host, Maureen Schaefer, is a three-time vice president of marketing with 30 years of experience creating money-moving messages from startups to IPO and beyond. Here's your host, Maureen Schaefer. Welcome to the Message Engineer Show. My name is Maureen Schaefer and I'm the host. Uh, today we are extremely excited to have with us Sel Filardi. Sel uh, Filardi is a former U.S. Army Special Forces officer, more commonly known as a Green Beret. Sel has deep experience with communication and training to up-level corporate teams based on his experience doing this across countries and cultures often in conflict zones. Uh, Sal is joining us today from his home near Research Triangle Park, RTP, in North Carolina. Welcome, Sal. Thanks, Maureen. I'm like super stoked to be here. Outstanding. And I just, just a quick shout out to MedTech Vets who uh, introduced us. So thank you very much. Check out MedTech Vets at medtechvets.org. All right. So uh, we start, Sal, with define the word warm up. Uh, so I'm going to give you a couple of words and do you tell me what, what they mean to you? Yeah. Fire away. Uh, first word is purpose. So when I think of purpose, I think of that, like that, that engine that allows you to kind of take any path that you want and feel comfortable with going down that path because the purpose is kind of what's driving you. So maybe for myself, um, I think of the stories that my mother and my father told me throughout my whole life and how that kind of pushed me in opportunities that I wasn't necessarily planning for, uh, but landed me here. And it's, it's super easy once you're, once you're pretty darn honed in on your purpose to know if you're on the right path or if you're on the wrong path. Maybe it's like a compass. That's a good, yeah, great. Great, great, great. Uh, vision. Uh, when I think of vision, I think of uh, if you close your eyes and you imagine what you could be or your family could be or your company could be seven to 10 years from now and you look around and you're like, holy cow, like, I can't believe we were able to accomplish that. That's what I think of when I think of vision. It's got to it's got to be really big and worth going to climb for. Mm -hmm. All right. Super. Uh, and last one. Uh, you should expect this one. Uh, message. Uh, message is fun. Um, 
so I went to the University of Illinois. Uh, I studied communication, had a minor in organizational psychology and leadership study. So I've been obsessed with this word for like ever, because I think it means a ton. Um, I generally break it down into that, that four part uh, communications theory, right? Sender, receiver, message, and means. So when I think message, I think the what you're saying. And I love that part of it because you can, you can change who says it or who hears it or where it comes from to completely change the meaning of a message. So there's um, maybe the, the, the word that comes to mind after I think message is potential energy not necessarily kinetic energy because you've got more to do after you've come up with what you're going to say. I love that idea of potential energy and messages having potential energy, right? Because until you get it out there, <laughs> you do something with it, you get it in front of people. And as you said, thinking through kind of who, Who's sending to who's receiving it, who you want to receive it, who needs to send it. I love breaking it yeah. down into those four pieces. The, so like, the Maureen, receiver, you, oh, I'm sorry. Maureen, you said you have a, a, a teenage boy, right? Yes. 13. So yeah, just, just. If, if you tell him something and then Sal, the green beret tells him something, even if it's the same thing, it's going to mean something different. And I think I, I am fascinated mm -hmm. by that problem set because it's so fun to play with. <laughs> This is a hundred percent true. I have, I've, you, I've recognized that and used that to my advantage. And I'll say, Hey, could you talk to, could you talk to him about X, Y, Z? And I don't tell him what I want them to say or think about it, but could you talk to him about it? Because I know it's shifting, right? Yeah, so we have no, to know who people are going to receive a message from. 100%. Yeah, my, my kids are still really little. They're, uh, they're three and a half, two and four months. So uh, I get to be the hero for the next couple of years. And I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> it's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. So you're, you're kind of getting into getting into med tech. And as as you look at what we're doing, and you have a chance to see certain companies, uh, you have obviously very strong experience uh, in the Army, U.S. Army Special Forces. What are some of the things that you see from your learning in the U.S. Army Special Forces that maybe we could use a little more of in med tech? Yeah, we could yeah, think, it would help us think about things better. So um, first of all, I'll echo your shout out to MedTech Vets. It was a wonderful program for uh, veterans from all services and all experiences and backgrounds to kind of get a familiarity and, and, and start to build a network in a new industry. So super powerful program there. Very thankful to them. That's, that's how I got here today. Um, and one of the, excuse me, one of the things that I recognized when I was looking into possible avenues into the med tech industry, um, either through that program or up in research triangle park, where there's so many wonderful conferences and speakers and, like, man, what a great place to be in this industry. Um, you know, Boston's awesome too, but I'm certainly partial to North Carolina because I'm here. Um, and I, I realized that I already had value to give and the value that I was able to give was kind of like as an outsider, because I think about the problem in such a different way 
than most med tech founders that I've met. Most med tech founders are coming from that very academic background. Um, they might've grown up as a researcher and all of a sudden, oh, now I'm a founder, right? Like that's, that's a pretty massive change. Um, but all of my experience in the military and especially as a special forces officer is about um, transformation management, transition management, change management. Um, how do you talk internally to your team to tell them about where the company is going and, and how do you kind of like own your own brand uh, to the point where it's not confusable by the, the massive influx of cash from your, from your cyber loan or, or whatever it happens to be. So. What are, you know, you talk um, in doing some background research on you. Uh, you talk a bit about teams having need to have a really strong sense of purpose. And you define that kind of upfront here. Uh and you, you specifically said teams, strong sense of purpose that endure through adversity. How, yeah. how do you build that? How do you create so, that? So it's got to be, uh, when, when I talk to the companies that I, I work with and I help, um, and I ask them about that, like, hey, well, like, what are you doing here? Uh, it's really not about the money. And the thing I love about MedTech is it's such a, such a, patient first industry. Like you're not starting this company to make money. You're starting this company because you have this revolutionary technology that's going to help people. That's awesome. Um, however, the way you're thinking that it's going to help people and the way that actually helps people might not be the same thing because companies grow and change and pivot and adjust over time. Um, and we do the same thing in the special operations community, right? They Generally speaking, when you send special forces or, or the Green Berets, it's because at a high level, the Department of Defense, they don't really know what to do. Like they know it's bad. They know something has to be done. They're not ready to commit a, like a massive influx of money or, or troops or whatever it happens to be. So they send uh, me and my team at 12 and we go in and we start doing strategic level analysis and then we come down a little more and we go into like, okay, well, these are the different um, operational things you could do. These are the different directions you could take it to address the strategic problem. And then when that gets decided, we even go down even further to like, okay, well, now let's talk the, the tactical level, the day-to-day, -day. who are we working with? What are we telling them? What are we training them to do? Um, and it's this really cool, like process of building a bridge, right? So from, from, I don't even understand the problem to these are the daily actions I'm going to take to go from a group of guys to a special operations unit. Um, and that's kind of where that, that purpose comes in, right? If you really start with, Hey, let's remind everybody like what we're doing here every day, the decisions become a lot easier and it's a lot easier to delegate those decisions because you're reminding people, why you're there, why you're there, why you're there, why you're there. And then the how you're going to do it and the what's, those are just just not as important. Stealing from Simon Sinek, obviously, on that one. Uh, I love how you break, you start with the strategic and then break it down from there so that you always have the, and all the way to daily actions, and then you have that obviously pointing up to, as you called it, the why, right? So it's always clear why so that folks can figure out the how and the what 
And uh, when you look at breaking that down and working with people to do that, who may not have gone through those steps before, may not understand uh, why they need to have their daily actions monitored. I mean, the military and particularly special forces are uh, famous for the rigor and following orders, right? And uh, sometimes I haven't seen that same level of rigor necessarily in civilians, <laughs> like broadly. So how, but it's critically important, right? That everyone, the only way you take a product that has a, can deliver you know, in med to have product or service that can benefit healthcare, people in healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. Make the world a better place. As you had said um, somewhere, I read it, that you had written it, uh, that uh, how do you then line all those, line all those people up and get them all working kind of together and monitoring them or letting yeah. them monitor themselves and make those decisions? How do you get everyone lining up and like, it's moving and maintaining that momentum. Yeah. So I'll I'll briefly go back to the bridge analogy. I'll clarify something really quick, and then I'll I'll more specifically answer your question. So, um, what I heard and what you just said was, "Hey, I'm this brilliant PhD. I came up with this technology. It's gonna help. It's gonna make the world a better place." That was yesterday. Then somebody came along and convinced you to start a business, and now today you're a founder or the president of a company or whatever title you've given yourself, chief brand officer, right? Like whatever it happens to be. Those two things are very different. And the skill set that you need to invent a technology that's going to change the world and the skill set you need to kind of shepherd and guide the team that's going to use that technology to change the world are totally different skill sets. And I think you're, you're, couldn't be more on the nose with uh, special forces more than any other military unit uh, are the go-to guys for how you take potential and turn it into operational excellence. Right. Um, And I'll clarify the the point you made on like, Oh, discipline, 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 rigor. Um, When I think about what we do in the military, I think about it more as force multiplier Right. So how do you get the you that invented this technology into the guy that you have or the girl girl that you have to hire 18 months from now? Mm -hmm. Right. Without without having them get a master's degree in everything that you did to get to this point. Right. Like that's Mm -hmm. there's so much that you did. It's impossible to catch this person up. So there's tools that we use um, both uh, in my business coaching practice and and in the military, uh, the number one thing uh, that I would probably reference, and I'll use the military terminology for it because it's kind of interesting, uh, is the mission statement, right? So that means a lot of different things, a lot of different places. Uh, yeah, it's the five W's, but it's also task and purpose. And then if you break that mission down a little bit more, you get things like uh, the key tasks, like we got to do these things or else it's going to fail. Um mm-hmm the intent, right? Like this is the spirit in which I want you to go about figuring out your piece in this problem. And then I think a super powerful tool uh, for anybody who is a founder, and if you just do this one thing, uh, it'll save you so much time and energy, is talk about the end state, right? Talk about, Mm -hmm. hey, 
if we're successful in the next three months, if we're successful in the next year, if we're successful in the next three years, seven years, 10 years, whatever it happens to be, what does that look like? And if you're clear about what does it look like and you're the one who continues to put it out because it's, it's your baby, right? It's your research, it's your company. Um, you basically empower the folks that you've recognized as like, wow, this guy's got a lot of potential or this girl's got a lot of potential. I need him on my team. You empower that person to make the decisions within their own genius that gets to the goal, right? Because you're kind of like, begin with the end in mind, begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of, of thinking about it like that. I, I, there are a couple of things in there, uh, within your own, their own genius, right? Because team, the, the right team, bringing on the right team members, as you said, force multiplier, right? They know things that we don't know, uh, and can do certain things better than we can do them. We know, we know other things, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, to do. And, uh, I love that idea of, yeah, them being force multipliers in the mission statement. I think one of the other things you talked about was this idea of and owning the end state as a founder of the CEO, right? And continuing to stay it, state it over and over again. Do you do you see the end state as the vision as the same thing, or are they different? I'm curious because that um, is such a critical message, and it's it's inspirational. It helps people with their decision making. Like, do I if I take this action, does that help get us towards? end state. Yeah. So they're different. I would call an end state time bound and wow. I would call a vision not time bound. So okay. uh, let's take one of my favorite visions of all time. It's Apple, right? Like a personal computer in every home in the United States. Mm -hmm. That was a 40 year time horizon. And although they didn't necessarily intend to go there, they actually did a personal computer in every pocket in the United States, which is, mm -hmm. which is impressive. But if not for such a powerful mission, um, I don't think that, or excuse me, vision, I don't think they ever would have exceeded their hopes with mm. that. Now, an end state, an end state is, um, what is it? I think it's 2007. I might be misquoting, but right. 2007, Apple convention, Steve Jobs walks out in his classic, you know, dad jeans and, and turtleneck. Black and he neck. goes, yeah. we're releasing three new products this year. And everybody's like, yeah, right? Like everybody's getting so excited. And he goes, we're going to release a touch integrated media player. And everybody loses their minds, right? Because <laughs> this is like old school iPod. It's still got the wheel, right? We're going to release that. <laughs> a new technology to interface with the internet. And everybody's going nuts. And they don't know exactly what that means, right? And he goes, and we're going to release a phone. And then as you continue to watch, he's like, internet, phone, media, internet, phone, entertainment, internet, phone, entertainment, iPhone. And everybody loses their <laughs> minds because it's like it was that it was that first gen of that product that got mm -hmm. us today to, I don't know, iPhone 73 Max I Pro, <laughs> right? Or whatever the, whatever the heck the name of it is now. It doesn't matter, but that that vision from 2007, we're going to change, or that end state of 2007, mm -hmm. we're going to change the way uh, people interact with the internet, their phones, and their entertainment. That took them, I don't know, I think 
five, six years. He says it in the speech. Like I've been waiting for this day for two and a half years, which means they knew what they were going to do two and a half years ago, which means they started thinking about the problem set probably 10 years before that, Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of neat. And I like that backside part. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that backside part. That is, yeah, that's a great way of describing the difference between vision, not time bound, right? Yeah, like yeah. 40 years, a you know, computer in every home and yeah. or every pocket. An end state, <laughs> an end state within that greater vision might have been, uh, hey, we're going to invent a device that is easier to operate with your finger than it is with the buttons on the device. That would have been a good end state, right? Like mm-hmm. everything we're doing to develop the interface, the user interface, physical user interface for the phone needs to be about making it be easier to work with this thing than the buttons. There's um, something you can carry with your media and entertainment and internet with you everywhere. Yeah, yeah. and the, But that's the mm-hmm. higher level because now mm-hmm. like, okay, you've told them make it easier to work with your finger than it is with the buttons. And then the obvious next question is, well, what are they going to be doing with this thing? Because that's going to shape how you build the tech. And when you think, hey, we're going to change internet, we're going to change media, and we're going to change phone, well, you know you've got some precise tapping that you need to figure out. There's probably some sliding for some sort of volume thing, right? Like um, there's, there's, there's things that you didn't have to tell them as the founder that they're naturally going to figure out because you brought them in to be a product designer because that's what you're not, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of cool. And they're going to exceed your expectations if you allow them to. But the way to tee them up to exceed your expectations is to be crystal clear on uh, what we're about, how we're about doing it, and let them surprise you with the what. I, that is maybe a- why we're here, how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. In, a, in an ethereal sense, and then they'll surprise you with the what. I think that that is it's a great way of, of talking about it. It makes me it makes me think about this idea of boundaries, right? And some people perceive boundaries as obstacles to be overcome. <laughs> but sometimes boundaries, right? This idea of, hey, you're only going to use your finger or... You have to be able to put it in your pocket or these boundaries actually allow for focus and real brilliance. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that potential energy thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. why, why is it fun to go to Cedar point? Because Cedar (laughs) point has the tallest roller coasters. You're going to have the most potential for excitement at, I can't remember what top thrill dragster is. I think it's 420 feet, right? Like it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, and it goes real fast, um, but that's kind of example right? like, of potential and kinetic energy as well. Yeah. You you build your team up. You mm-hmm. as the leader go from developing the technology to now, hey, you're enabling, you're resourcing, you're um, kind of giving left and right limits, or giving kind of mm-hmm. like a domain to work in. But you're not mm-hmm. like your your job of wearing the white coat and playing with the pipettes. It's that's, that's, you don't do that anymore, man. (laughs) Or, or lady. I, I hear you. And I think a lot of times that's challenge. I've seen particularly with technical founders that that's very challenging for them to let go of and move into They're super brilliant technically, 
right? Mm-hmm. They've conceived this amazing product and or service. Uh, and it's hard to step back from that role that they've lived in yeah. so long and to like, and to up level, right? Really into this, uh, lead into a leader. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely that up, up level across the bridge. Another analogy that works for a lot of people is the fish tank, right? Like you have worked so hard and, and accomplished so many incredible things, uh, getting your research funded, your clinical trials, all that wonderful stuff that you've done to this mm-hmm. point. Uh, now I come along and I'm standing outside the fish tank that you have built for yourself to live in. And I'm, I'm simply showing you a perspective of this beautiful thing that you've built that you might not have been considering because that that's what it took to build the fish tank. And now I get to help you put that fish tank in the place where it's going to help the most people, um, which is kind of neat, right? Like I'm super fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to conceptualize it. Uh, so, you know, messaging obviously permeates the entire, we're talking about communication and a lot of internal messaging and communicate and communication uh, and not so much like marketing and launch it messaging, right? Which a lot of people tend to associate the message with that. Um, and it, it has to start in internally, right? You have to have the right people. They have to be yes. focused in the right direction or else you never get to the fun point of <laughs> launching it into the commercial yes. and, into yeah. com- and commercializing it. So yeah. uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that you talk about in, in building out the structure and that, that there are corollaries from your work with the uh, U.S. Army Special Forces and the Green Berets with uh, things that were done there and used there and then how they translate out. And I know you're talking about playbooks and one of my personal favorites, not always in the past, SOPs or standard operating procedures. And I know anytime I, it seems anytime I mention that to people other than regulatory or quality people, they're like, yeah, yeah. So, um, you help us with that. Help us think through a, that. This is, this is possibly other than like a really great assessment of how you're going to build your team and hiring the right people first. Mm-hmm. This is the second most powerful thing that you can do uh, for your business, in my opinion. And um, I, I got a little whiteboard here, so I might I might sketch it if it comes down to that. But um, you use the term playbooks. I like that term. I generally use uh, when I think about a company, I think about it in this, in this kind of circular system of, of words that begin with P people is obviously where I always start. Um, mm-hmm. cause it, that's the foundation that you build everything else on. Uh, if you like Pat Lencioni, the bottom of his five factor model, or, you know, his five dysfunctions model is trust. So you, if you don't start with people, I think your head's in the wrong place, mm-hmm. personal opinion. Um, next on that chart is purpose, right? That's that, Hey, mm-hmm. like constantly, framing the why are we here why are we here how do we do this kind of stuff and not in a technical way in a um would you want your mom or your would you want to tell your grandma how you might go in about doing that right like that kind mm-hmm. of stuff and then the next is is playbooks and i'll come right back to that and then the last uh, is performance and then it kind of all centers around profit right uh, mm-hmm. performance is just measuring what matters um, mm-hmm. 
there's more to that, but that's the, so back to playbooks. Uh, um, I think about it two ways, right? I think about playbooks as your ability as a leader to show that you trust your teammates, right? So um, if you think about it, maybe football, right? Like the coach or the offensive coordinator that calls the play, he doesn't get to run the play. You know, like I, I think Charlie Weiss is a wonderful football player. I don't want him on the field, right? Or football coach, I don't want him on the field. Um, you know, he needs to be wearing his Notre Dame polo and putting his headset on. Um, and that's kind of what he does as the coach for that football team is what you need to do with plays as the leader of your company is you need to tell people, hey, generally speaking, these are the core steps that it takes to get this done at the level that our company does it, right? Like I don't know, five, six, nine steps probably shouldn't be much more than that. Um, SOPs nest underneath that, right? So an SOP might be uh, how you get set up at the start of that play so that when the process kicks off, you're, you don't have a garbage in, garbage out kind of situation, right? So SOPs are very, very specific. Those are uh, risk mitigation tools for you as a leader to kind of do your own internal quality control um, versus a playbook is, um, generally speaking, I don't know, let's say um, five yard out, right? Like, you know, we could take a random sampling of a hundred NFL wide receivers. And I guarantee that everybody's going to say, oh yeah, you run five yards and then you turn to the outside of the field. But how they specifically do that, if we were to record every single one, how they start, where they take their stutter steps, where they put their center of gravity, what they do with their head fake. And, you know, that's their own genius, right? You, like, you have to let them do that. You just know that generally I want you to take this, take this path and go that direction because mm -hmm. I've got other people running playbooks at the same time as you and the other parts of our company. And we're all, a, we're all a team. We're all kind of doing this together. And this is my way uh, as the leader of the company, probably through the department heads to mm -hmm. codify how we generally keep the traffic going in the same direction. I could, I could give a military example if you really want, but it might be a little bit stretched. Uh, I think, uh, I think it'd be, I'd love to hear the military example. So the military I find, example, I, oh, yeah, oh, I, was, I just figured you were going to say yes, I was ready. <laughs> I'll be um, more brief. Go ahead. Yeah, yes. The, the military example I would give is, is how the military plans literally anything, like how we come up with the plan. Um, this could take a month and this could take 15 minutes. We use this format, at least in the army, we call it an operations order or an op board for short. It's got five steps. It's always got five steps. It's got the same five steps and it's had the same five steps forever because they work. Um, and those five steps are situation, mission, execution, support, and command signal. And there's going to be some army wizard out there that knows the doctrine even better than I do. That's going to be like, well, actually it's called this now. Uh, that's cool, but the the essence of the steps are the same, and mm -hmm. uh, what they are named is not as important as what they do. So, uh, situation: uh, the one thing that you really need to get out of situation is situation is how you're looking at the target that your military unit is going after, namely, among other things, uh, who are the bad guys? What do they look like? 
where are they and how do they fight, right? Like that's the point of situation. Uh, mission is that kind of five W's. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Uh, execution is how the pieces of the puzzle will work in unison one, with one another, or maybe how the chess pieces will move across the board together. Mm -hmm. um, generally, a military unit that's doing some sort of offensive operation is broken down into three pieces. Those pieces are assault, support, and security. So execution is what do you tell assault to do? What do you sell support to do? And what do you tell security to do? Um, generally speaking, so that they can go out and execute that uh, in their own little, in their own way. Um, support is the fourth step. It's what do you need physically to be successful? Where, where is your stuff? And if you need more stuff, how do you get it? And then the last step uh, is command and signal. And that's um, how do you talk to one another? How do you talk to other folks that are kind of in your atmosphere if, if you need them? And then uh, how do you talk to your boss? Uh, and when do you need to talk to your boss? So one of my favorite parts mm. of the command and signal portion of that planning process goes around reports, mm. specifically um, the reports that a commander wants to get from their team, because it's a really awesome way to de-stress your team leader. Um, if you just tell them like, hey, I want to know if this and this and this happens and everything else you can tell me after you're done. That man, well, what? what levity that you've given that person to not stress about giving you a phone call unless X, Y, or Z happens. And you are so specific about X, Y, and Z that he doesn't have to worry about it. And he, he or she can focus on what's actually important. And that's being present in the moment, with the challenge that you've given them to solve. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the playbook for planning. It's those five steps. We always do them. We do them in 15 minutes. You can do them in a month and a half if you really want to. An SOP that's nested in between that would be, for example, the SOP that you use for like a graphical depiction of something that happens. So for example, and I'll just draw it on my little board. Yeah, great. You may just need to move your camera a little bit and talk through it. So this, can you see that all right or no way? I, I tried to draw it really big. Uh, no? You know, it'll probably see it in landscape. We just can't see it in this kind of vertical format. That, but if you can see it, I'm, you're, there How we about go. That? Yeah, super. Okay. That's great. So there's this, it's this little thing, right? It looks like the top of a hexagon. It's got two little arrows coming off of it. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't know what that means, but I know exactly what this means. And I don't care if the person who drew that on the board speaks French or German or uh, Tagalog or Baule or whatever it happens to be. This is the SOP. This is the common language for this specific action, which mm -hmm. happens to be support by fire. Um, so that's like an SOP nested within the planning process mm. um, that works for us, right? Like that's, it's on you to develop your own SOPs. For us, that action is so important um, that if we don't draw it the same way every time and we leave it open to interpretation at all, um, it's going to pose too much risk for us as leaders. So we draw it that way every single time, exactly that way. I, I love the idea of SOPs serving as risk reduction mm -hmm. um, because it, it's true whether you're writing an SOP for how to launch a product, which is 
be overbroad. But an SOP, for example, for how to get something through promotional review approval, right? You're, the goal of that is efficiency, like speed and, you know, risk management, risk reduction, right? So you, you want both. You want to be able to move through at a certain rate and you want to reduce risk. And And the kicker is just how you communicate about them. So if you don't tell people that the SOP is there to reduce risk generally on the team, then if everything else you've done in your, in your business is about empowering your teammates to be their own little version of themselves, right? You need to like also be able to put the reins on that and say, Nope, when we're doing this, we do it this way specifically because too much is on the line. Uh, we know this one works. We know it's the most efficient. Um, we will take your feedback on it for sure because um, we love you and you're a part of our company. But until we change it as a team and do the analysis on it, like this is how we're doing it. I think that's a, a great way to put it. I know when um, I've gone through this, hey, we need to build an SOP. I need you to write this SOP up about XYZ. Uh, there's this tendency to believe that it is its onerous. That I'm trying to manage their process that none of which, none of which I'm trying to do. Yeah, uh, I yeah. simply want us as we, as we learn to be able to continually improve and maintain that improvement. So we learn and then we're able to maintain it. So we continue to kind of grow upwards, not yeah. circle back because we forgot this and then we forgot that and we missed this other thing and we're trying to remember okay. it in our heads. Another one, of, you just bring up a, a great point. Another one of my favorite SOPs is, uh, it's called the after action review, right? So mm-hmm. you go out and you do something, whether it's training or operational or, or whatever it happens to be, uh, and you come back and you talk about it with your team. And obviously, that could go off the rails pretty easy uh, because at least in our community, we talk about what we messed up mm-hmm. so that um, we can take actions to make it better in the future, right? That continuous 1% improvement. Um, and that's a great time for an SOP, not only to put into what I would call the playbook that, mm-hmm. hey, you go do something and then you talk about it afterwards. That's like a playbook level. But mm-hmm. the how you talk about something is super powerful thing to standardize through a standard operating procedure because it's a cultural tool. Like that's a high cultural tension part of the mm-hmm. playbook. Um, so if you very specifically put out an SOP on how you're going to do that piece of the play book, um, it's, it's super powerful. So I love issue discussion resolution because a lot of people use another one that's called um, uh, like one up, one down, or three ups, one down. No, like we didn't, it wasn't, it, we didn't fail at something. Something happened. And now we got to talk about are we happy with it? It happened or it didn't happen. That's the discussion part. Uh, and then the resolution is hey, is this important enough to do something about? Or are we comfortable with uh, taking a similar risk in the future? Or uh, are we going to codify it in some other way, right? Like that's like, a, hopefully that's a good example of, of playbooks, right? Playbook is, hey, these are the big steps. One of our big steps is we talk about it afterwards and then right. we standardize how we talk about it uh, to really own the culture of our company to make sure that we only talk about failure 
quote unquote, one way, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, if you're not, if you're not doing that, that's like, there's, there's a risk there. There's some, there's some left and rights that could go off the rails uh, real quick. I mean, call me or email me or LinkedIn me. If you want help, I'll, I'll give you that one for free. <laughs> uh, I think that's a, I love the idea of that being codified in a, in a playbook that we talk about things after we've done them. Uh, I call them debriefs. I'm always yeah. like, we go to a trade show, we debrief. We launch a campaign, we debrief. We, whatever the heck we do, we debrief. And uh, I know recently I had asked a couple of folks to look back at 2022 and say, hey, take a look at 2022 and what we did along this particular domain. And, you know, come back with a, you know, a couple pages of PowerPoint, two, five, seven, whatever works, and tell us what worked, what didn't work, and what we should change moving forward. And the faces <laughs> on the Zoom call when I suggested that, and I said, I had to back up and say, let me be super clear. The goal is not to beat people up over what happened. The goal is to say very objectively what happened and let's do better. The goal is to do yeah. better. The goal is not to point fingers. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I <laughs> could not agree more. <sighs> maybe, uh, maybe, a, maybe a good way to tee that up. If you're thinking about doing that in your own company right now, after, you know, I think we got the end of two, Q2 coming up. Um, it's just put that out. Or like, Hey, like I want to make sure that I'm getting you guys, the, the people and the resources that you need to be successful. I want you to take a look back at the next year and put it on me. Like, what else did you need mm-hmm. to crush it where you didn't get the results that you were hoping for? Like, kind of, I don't know, like, take yourself, take take the finger pointing out of it right from the start yeah. mm-hmm. with the intent and end state that you give at the beginning. That's a great way to do it because I realized, I wanted to bring that up because I realized that I didn't tee it up in the right way. The first reaction I got was, yeah, you know, yeah. was horror. Well, that's, that's that garbage in, garbage out, right? Like it's a, it, it's a, it's a universal truth. Yeah. So works that in, yeah. uh, works in artillery and it works in actuarial sciences. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I think that's a, a critical thing to put in the playbook. Then this idea of issue, discussion, resolution. Yeah. Uh, you know, the people talk about failing fast and, recognizing failures as an opportunity to improve. And if you didn't have it, you wouldn't have learned that, right? It's learning experiences. Uh, but there's still that big F word that is uncomfortable for a lot of people. So I love the idea of, so everyone's like, oh, they should be challenges, not problems, right? Yeah. But I just like uh-huh. issue, issue that's very straightforward. But you, yeah, and I, and I think that's the, right? Going back all the way to the beginning of the conversation, that's the message, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if you're thinking about, oh, I want to talk about what we failed, but maybe I just change how I say it. But everything, you leave the other four parts of that model the same, guess what? Like, it doesn't really matter what you said. It's how you said it, who said it, how it was delivered and how they heard it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what, what, uh, I, I love my mom and my mom, uh, my mom has this like classic thing that we, we poke fun of her as her kids for. And she goes, I know what I said, but that's not what I meant. Uh, and that's like, that's what that makes me think of. There you go. I've, I've said something similar to my son. If I say something and it doesn't make sense, but you know what I meant and you know that, you know, I slept three hours last night, just, just keep going. <laughs> just keep going. 
I'll, I'll put that one in the toolkit. I'm sure I'll need it sooner than later. It happens. It happens. He's a, he's a super, my son's a super observer. So he remembers every word that was ever said. Like verbatim. He's very auditory. Uh, I summarize things. I read, I see things in aggregate and in patterns. So a lot to learn there. Uh, the one, a uh, couple other things that I saw that I thought were potentially really, really interesting were you mentioned, um, so we talked about message, right? And the message having four parts. Uh, and I saw that you had, I don't know, posted a response or something about this, about really liking this one Ford ad that went out for International Women's Day. Oh and yeah, that's a good one. And I think a lot of people, there's a tendency to want to put, whether it's a press release or an ad or to just, you know, put the mountain in there, like everything that ever was good about it. And the message, no one's going to hear that. It has to be like really simple and distilled. And I think ads are their own special and on social and online, their own special thing. So I was hoping you could decode for us what you thought was special about that ad and why you really liked it and how we might be able to use yeah, that. Yeah. Reply. Well, let me, let me preface for everybody. Um, a little look under the hood. I love commercials. Um, <laughs> I think in another life I should have been an ad man, like a, like a, I don't know, Ogilvy or whatever. Right. Um, and it's because of this, this thing that I've, I've obsessed about in the way that it affects teams and businesses, but, uh, in general, how it affects consumers is also like really, really cool. Uh, and when you think of it from that force multiplier perspective, right? When, mm-hmm. you know, West Africa or wherever it happens to be, that's just mm-hmm. the place that's closest to my heart because I spent the most time there. Um, how you put stuff out that you don't get to control once it leaves you uh, is really, really, really important. Uh, and to catch people up to speed, so this ad came out for National Women's Day. I'm not sure what platforms it was released on. I found it through LinkedIn, um, and it is your classic car commercial. It's a Ford truck commercial, I think. Um, and it's you know it's the aggressive camera angles, and it's the loud engine revving sounds, and it's the um, you know, look at me climbing up the mountain in my Ford truck, which nobody ever does with their Ford truck, except, you know, if you actually live in Montana or whatever, um, like for the 50 Ford truck owners, I know, I know one guy that's not driven it on a road, uh, or otherwise improved trail. Um, but then when it lists the features, right. Cause that's the setup. And then it lists the features and you're, you're expecting, uh, some proprietary technology, four-wheel drive, right? And with that voice, and it's still that voice, right? It's that it's that guy saying it, whoever Mr. Movie Phone is. Except it's um, without turn signals, no windshield wipers. Um, and then he kind of like loses confidence as he's talking throughout the, the commercial. And he's like, wait, what? Like, is this a good idea? And he's like, but he's still Mr. Movie Phone. And then it's like, um, man, I wish I, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick myself for not knowing the tagline, but it was a celebration of all the brilliant female engineers at the Ford Motor Company who have invented so many things that we take for granted, that keep our families safe, that keep our cars on the road, uh, and that make, in, in this analogy, Ford trucks what Ford trucks are, 
Um, and if you've bought a pickup truck lately, I know I have, there's a reason that there's a bunch of trucks and one costs 10 grand more and that one's a Ford. Um, and it was really cool. It was like a, it was like a, a thank you to all of the wonderful people that have made Ford great. Um, specifically the women on, on international women's day. And I, I thought it was so funny to have the sender be the classic Ford truck guy. Have the means be the classic Ford truck commercial, um, and then manipulate message in receiver. Mm-hmm. And they manipulated message halfway through because the setup for the message was all the same stuff, right? It's like climb the mountains, go fast, right? And then the rest of it was like, oh wait a minute, what about all these other things that were supposed to be? We're invented by women, but if not for all of our wonderful engineers. Um, they never would have been invented, right? So just really cool. I love that commercial. Um, I might've got too excited to answer your question, but that's a great commercial. <laughs> I know that's, I, I, I love commercials. I'm like you, I, <laughs> the Super Bowl this year, uh, you know, I'm in the kitchen. My son's like, mama, the commercials are on. <laughs> Not like there is a great play because he knows I am. Are we watch the Super Bowl for the commercials? Like, yes, it's fun. It was a good game this year, no doubt. Uh, but I'm not. I wouldn't have it on if it weren't for the commercials. Doritos, Doritos Princess uh, is number one. Um, the Oreo commercial from the Superdome is probably number three, um, and number two uh, goes to Budweiser for me. That would be the. Uh, the zebra referee, you know, it's the Clydesdales playing football and there's two ranchers in the snow on the fence. And one of them goes, Hey, that, that referee's real jackass. And the other cowboy goes, I think he's a zebra. But like, that's great. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, and I think those commercials as well have like, I just laughed. And then even the Ford one, when you're like, what, why is the announcer questioning? Like, why did the voice change? Why are they questioning this? Yeah, why, would yeah. it, why would you have a car without windshield wipers or a windshielder, right? Um, but it's funny and humor, right? There's an element of surprise and humor and what? Like curiosity that they yeah, build in. Yeah. And uh, cognitively, I know that humor, based on my brother telling me so, is a PhD and a postdoc and those sorts of things, uh, that humor makes things cognitively more memorable. We remember them better. 100%. So, yeah, and there's a... And, you know, we talked about, we talked about this earlier, but right. Like all the other guests on the show that have, that have talked about wonderful things that they're world-class experts at, right? Mm-hmm. How do you talk to regulators? How do you talk to customers? Uh, how do you talk to raising venture capital or raising private equity? I like, I like this part that internal and humor normally works like really good because you're doing something serious and everybody knows you're doing something serious. So if you can have like a little fun with it on your internal communications, um, you know, the, the vibe is higher, the creativity is higher and that like that working genius again, that's a Pat Lencioni one. So I can't take credit for that one, but that, that individual thing, that potential that you saw, but you couldn't quite put your finger on when you hired that person um, that really comes out when you use a tool like humor uh, to really like up the buy-in and, and up the level of creativity internal 
to your company, which is like, that's my favorite thing to talk about. Yeah, I think none of those things happen externally, right? Without that internal core of yeah. that team, those people that, and how they work. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what casual Friday that National Women's Day commercial was invented on, but I would put $1 on it was invented on a casual Friday, like the person who had that idea. They were wearing their favorite Hawaiian shirt and their favorite flip-flops. And there was a very large like, whiteboard. Yeah, oh yeah, the, the whole wall is a whiteboard. Um, yeah, good. That, that's a good one. We could, yeah, talk, I could talk about commercials as literally as long as you want. I, I think commercials are, you know, commercials that are well done, that are successful, take, it looks easy. Like at the end, the output, you're like, oh, okay. How long did that take? Yeah. In, in months mean, and hours. The, in the three, the three that I cited, right? So uh, Doritos, Budweiser, and um, uh, Oreo, right? Like this, like they didn't talk about the technological uh, advances in nacho cheese, right? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that. That's not what the commercial was about. The commercial was about um, speaking to the audience to show them what the company is about, right? And Mm -hmm. So much of um, any high performance team is this foundation of trust. So if you're going to use humor either internally or externally as a, as a component of you building trust, like I'm not talking about three stooges, like it doesn't need to be slapstick, but like, you know, personality is a tool, man, like <laughs> use it or don't. I think you make such a great point because uh, you know, trust is critical. Uh, building teams is critical. And it, it shows on the, uh, we can't take ourselves, we are doing serious things, right? Doesn't, as you said, need to be slapstick. However, <laughs> we can have levity. We can poke some fun at ourselves. We can, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's not, it's not necessary to be, I sat in we on to, we, we used to do a monthly, uh, I was in the first cavalry division and in, in the, the lineage of that division is, is horseback, right? Uh, and specifically, I was in an artillery unit that's cannons and stuff. And we used to do a monthly, they called it a stable call, right? Kind of calling back mm -hmm. to lineage. And it was just going down to the bar uh, in the afternoon, kind of getting out of work a little bit early, hanging out and building that trust and telling, sharing those stories that, that don't mm -hmm. otherwise come out in the formal mission brief, right? Right. Um, and one of the things that we used to pass around is, is something that we call a short round, uh, which is the, like the casing of an old artillery shell, but like cut in half. So it looks mm -hmm. way less impressive. Uh, and it was the, it was the award basically for like, Hey, you goofed, but you learned something from it. Mm. Um, so let's all take a nice chuckle because we've been there ourselves in whatever stage of our career that we were there. Um, but let's point it out because that story, even though it, you know, it was, a, it was a failure, um, right. <laughs> has something to share, right? Like we'd rather, we'd rather spread that around and be like, oh man, this happens all the time. Let's talk about it as a group over beers or, or iced teas or whatever it happens to be. I think I love that I, idea of the short round and, and in a casual setting where you're kind of breaking down the formality uh, and sharing stories and they, 
the great thing about stories, right, is that if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it or however that cliche goes. Um, So it's an opportunity to learn, right? It's an opportunity to say, hey, let's talk about it. Hey, this happened. Hmm. Let's have a conversation, figure out what to do. I think I think that's why I love Pat Lencioni so much as a, as an author. Um, and the other one that I would lump into this category is uh, probably one of my favorite books. It's really short. It's a quick read. It's called uh, Leadership and Self-Deception. It's by the Arbinger Institute. Um, and all of those books are, are stories, right? They're, they're written as a narrative. Mm-hmm. And then the like end of the chapter is talking about that part in the narrative and the, and the lessons that you can glean out of it. And they just stick like that. You know, I, I'm not a, um, I'm not a neuroscientist by, by any stretch of the imagination. I, I've done some cool stuff of my own. Um, but one thing that I think me and somebody really brilliant in that space would agree on is that stories help the right message stick if you own the story. Um, yeah, that's the scary part. That's a double-sided sword of the, uh, or two-sided sword of the short round is you could certainly do that the wrong way um, mm-hmm. and, and immediately ruin your company culture. But um, I'm fortunate to be around uh, good leaders at that time that, that, that owned it and led by example and talked about their own mistakes. Um, and it, it created that, accountability, even when it's not a great thing, culture, which is like, if you're going to be a high performing team, you're going to screw up because what you're going for is so ambitious day in and day out that like, it's inevitable. Like if you don't want to be a high performing team, then don't do something that hard. Right. Like, so you gotta, you gotta, you gotta own that part of it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's so much to talk about, about teams and so many questions uh, around that. And I think it is, there's, everyone wants great teams. Everyone one wants people working in their zone of genius. Everyone wants people to be clear on why we're here and what we're trying to do, no matter, you know, which company you're in. Um, and I think that the structure of understanding the kind of like the purpose, you know, the vision and the purpose and Mm -hmm. more specific, you know, as you move along more specific missions uh, that are almost more like sound more like projects in a way. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I often use it like a, I'll do another little scribble. I'll try to explain it for the rest of the class. It's audio only. I I like to think of it like a mountain, right? Okay. Right? Like if this is the really high mountaintop that you're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. um, you could call it whatever you want. Let's call it a pinnacle goal or like a seven year goal. And that further breaks down. Right. So if you have this this beautiful vision for something that could be um, and you want to get there in 10 years or, or seven years, then there's probably some sort of like strategy you need to get there. Mm-hmm. And then there's probably some sort of milestone that'll let you know that you're doing things in line with your strategy and you're making some of those more nebulous measurables that you set for each other or for, for yourselves. Um, and then you've probably got something as easy as like, well, what can we do in the next 90 days to know that we're closer? Um, Scrum uses this methodology. Agile uses this methodology. I use this methodology. 
uh, the 12 week year. Like there's a ton of research out there. It just works. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. And then you've probably got some sort of weekly metric. Oh yeah, look at that. It's a great one. Um, weekly metric that you're looking at and then some sort of, some sort of daily, um, daily thing that you're doing to keep talking about it, right? That, that leader responsibility of like, Hey, don't forget, like, this is, this is, this is, this is how we do things here. This is how we do things here. What do you need? What else? Like that's, you go from solving it to enabling the solving of it as a leader. So, yeah, I definitely think that um, if you want to get up here, there's some, there's some stages that you can work on to kind mm-hmm. of build the foundation to make sure that that's where you're getting. Um, to set a seven-year goal and then uh, not make a plan to achieve it is kind of wasted your time making the seven-year goal or 10-year goal or whatever it happens to be. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's a plan to not achieve what you're after. If you haven't broken yeah, yeah, down plan, and measured uh, yourself along the way. Fail to plan, plan to fail, one of those things. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, there's something, a quote around that. So, yeah. 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 Exactly. I'm always good good for a silly quote. That's for sure. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah, I love a lot of the things uh, that we've talked about from purpose and mission and looking at some of my notes. Uh, Force multipliers, uh, intent and spirit even, end state. Like what do we want the end state to be and continually uh, feeding that back to people so that they remember, oh, right, this is why I'm here. I'm not just showing up for a job to get a paycheck this is what we're after. This is where we're all going. This is where we're heading. And I can contribute to that. And how, this is how I can contribute to that. Yeah. Um, And everybody, everybody has their own way, right? Like if you're a researcher, that doesn't mean that you're not meant to be a leader. Like, like you just might need some help learning how to wear that new hat. Right. And like when you're building your team, this is not all on HR's back, right? Like HR just does the front end part of it and gets the person in the door and then they're mm -hmm. on your team. And then, you know, other than like signing the checks and, and I don't know, whatever other compliance they got to do. Um, now it's on you, right? Now it's on your leadership team and, and, and what structures you've created internally to continue the internal messaging of um, this is why we're here. This is how we do things here. Go out and show me what you can do, right? Why, how, what? Yeah, I love that you have ways to break everything down, that there are a lot of very specific methodologies. uh, And I love the idea of a playbook because we always have a strategic plan. We have that kind of like end state we want to get to. Uh, There's always a vision, right? And then there's always at at a minimum a three-year and usually a five-year plan. Like at least from the revenues and the forecast, like number, sure. numbers at a minimum and modeling that created those, supported and created those numbers from finance. But oftentimes then when you start to get into these planning processes, they can become their own beast. And uh, yeah, sometimes there's not as much support for those things, but without having a direct, with having knowing where you're trying to go and figuring out what the road you need to take to get there. There's probably a, a fair portion of folks out there right now that are listening to us talk either whatever today, tomorrow, the next day. Um, and they're saying something like, Oh yeah, but what about the numbers? Right? Like what about the run rate? Right? Like all that kind of stuff. What, where's my, what's the burn rate for that? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really the power of playbooks is you kind of like you take ownership of your ROI on payroll, right? Because what does a playbook do? One, it de-risks. What does an SOP do? It de-risks. And then you add those some other layers to that. You're saving time. You're ensuring consistent delivery on the things that matter most to you because you made the time to make up a playbook for it. So yeah, I would think of them as like tools to bump your ROI on payroll. Like if you're like a real fact finder and you want to know dollars and cents for your company, that's, you know, when finance walks in the room and that bow tie is looking sharp. Um, (laughs) This is how you change the messaging to do the stuff that's in line with your why and and how you want to be as a company. Uh, But just change what you say to make it stick for that person that it needs to stick for. That's yeah, that's tremendous advice. That's great advice, Sal. Uh, I I have a couple kind of bringing this to a close. So uh, that I wanted to ask you. And so um, one of the things that you and I touched base on via email earlier before this was Memorial Day. And I was just wondering if you could share a couple of thoughts about what that what that means to you. I know people myself included, sometimes mix up Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll touch high level. So um, Memorial Day is a federal holiday in honor of those that we've lost in combat. Um, and I will venture to guess that no matter where you live, there are statues and monuments and um, things like that in your community Uh, that were put there to remind people of the incredible, incredible price that some military families have paid uh, so that you could wear a cutoff t-shirt with an American flag on it and barbecue (laughs) up some ballpark pranks, right? Like um, I would one, go to the parade, right? Like those guys at the VFW, they want to, they want to see you there. Um, But one farther, and this kind of goes into that, like, I don't want to spin too far off into this, but this kind of goes into that, like, oh, thank you for your service, which which is, uh, there's a great TED Talk. It's by Wes Moore. Um, thank you for your service, Wes Moore. Google it. Okay. Um, but yeah, talk to those guys, right? Like, and don't just say thank you for your service or what branch did you serve in? Like, hey, what did you do? Where did you serve? Like, be genuinely and authentically interested in their story and the odds that you have something in common with this person that you don't think that you have anything in common with are incredibly high because the military is just supposed to be ideally just a representative sample of the population, right? It's just folks like me from the Midwest and folks from the Southeast and folks from Brooklyn, all who happened to, to be put together on the same team and asked to do something very hard for a reason much bigger than themselves. So, um, you have commonality with that person and I would challenge you um, to go find it. Maybe not every person, but at least a couple. Don't go through the airport grabbing every person who appears in military gear. Yeah. Yeah. But if they have a hat that says Vietnam veteran and you're not talking to them, you're making a mistake. Cause, cause that's a, that's a wonderful resource that is unfortunately going away very, very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't that long ago, right? The guys are still alive. It wasn't that long ago, but the country has changed so much uh, in that time that it's that's it, it's important to 
to remind those guys so many years later that if not for their service, regardless of the conflict or your political opinions about it, like, mm -hmm. you know, they, they still need that. Thank you. And they, they've probably been waiting on it for 60, 70 years. That, that is a, a great point and a, a great idea, right? It doesn't matter what we thought about it, but they, they served our country regardless and particularly around Vietnam and the, yeah, Korea, uh, Forgotten War. There's a, there was a weird, well, it seems weird now because of everything that we do for our veteran population um, today. But, you know, not too long ago, it wasn't like, it wasn't cool to have served. Um, but the lessons that you learn are the same lessons that I'm sharing right now, right? Like the stuff that I told you about that wasn't invented in the last 20 years in the global war on terror. That stuff was used in World War I, World War II. Like they used it. They they gave the feedback in those AARs throughout the decades that shaped it into what it is now. Um, and they might yeah, have I the same political beliefs as you, which is also crazy, right? Like that's not a that's not a box when you sign up. Like, hey, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Like, no. It's just like, how old are you? Where are you from? What's your social security number? All right, what size boots do you wear? Right? Like, that's that's really yeah. all it is. Yes, and particularly for the right those who are drafted as well, right? And earlier on, earlier on. So uh, I think that's great. There's so much to learn about the from the rigor and this like, excuse the kind of pun, battle tested strategies yeah. and team building and that that in a highly regulated arena such as medical devices, med tech, health tech, digital health. Uh, so many things we can learn, right, and translate uh, from the military uh, that can help us think through things and deliver better products and better healthcare and I make mean, the world let's, a better place. Which I'm let's not forget, you. right? If you if you work in the military or you work in defense, like you work in the government, like that is also bureaucratic. Like there are pain points that you have in healthcare that I also have in government uh, that we can definitely see eye to eye on. Um, and maybe there's a wonderful tip or technique, uh, that's kind of a, a broad structural similarity that I work through in my own way that applies to you. Um, another book recommendation range Epstein is the guy's last name. Really, really good. Talks about, um, um, Federer versus Tiger Woods and the value in a broad range of experience. If you want to mm -hmm. achieve mastery level in something or a very specific uh, depth of experience. Yeah, I think there's so much we can learn. MedTech can become very insular very quickly. And there's so much we can learn by like poking our heads up, <laughs> looking around yes. at what other excellent organizations have already learned. And that's, that's really the power of, of um, what I hope to do when I work with companies is whoever's the boss, just get their heads up. And looking at what else is out there uh, in finding those friends that they went to school with or that are in an adjacent category as them or or they just like, right? Like they don't have anything in common with. They just like that guy or gal. Um, because that's really what you're doing as a leader is you're, you're looking up and you're looking out and you're figuring out what you can bring to better empower your team to do what you've challenged them to do. Um, so yeah, if you don't have playbooks and you don't have SOPs and you don't have 
queer values that you are very deliberate about owning, uh, a clear purpose that you own. You don't measure what matters. Like you're not, you're never going to feel comfortable enough to like go have coffee with somebody like, or like mm -hmm. go on vacation to Senegal with your family and stumble into a researcher there who looked at it from a West African perspective that you never thought to look at from. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'm at on that one for sure. Yeah. Well, so much to learn, right. And so fun to, to look, you said, look up and look out and learn other things from adjacent categories and organizations and, and such. So a couple of, uh, a couple of closing questions. So, uh, what you already talked to us about thought leaders. So I'm going to skip that one. I was going to ask you that question. Uh, you are a licensed recreational skydiver. Hmm. Yeah, I am. Why? <laughs> um, well, part of it was, uh, I, I learned to skydive for the military. It's a, it's a school, it's called military Freefall school. Um, roughly speaking, it's a, it's just a way to get people places, right? Like kick them out of a plane. Um, and it was really fun. I had a blast. Uh, and I, I had done so much in that school that I was like one weekend away from my civilian skydiving certification. So uh, I took an extra weekend out at the school and I, I went to the major city nearby and uh, I got my professional skydiving license and um, it's pretty, pretty neat. One day I hope to jump into my uh, high school's homecoming football game with an American flag. That's, that's like my, that's like my secret goal for me one day. Um, that's why I think it, that's one of the, a very deliberate thing that I got it for. But other than that, it's, it's, um, it's like a perspective thing. I also really like to play golf. I think that the two things are, are again, like broad level, very similar. Um, every time you jump, it's different. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's certain best practices certain SOPs that you have to know how to do. Mm -hmm. And you could jump twice in the same day and your experience is different and how you handle it is different. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just enjoy, I enjoy anything that I know for sure. If I get wrapped around the technical axis with it, that I'm going to fail. And if you can't keep your head straight and make clear, calm, cool decisions while you're skydiving, then you don't skydive very much longer than that. <laughs> Unfortunately, true, 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 true. So you started to mention golf. And so, uh, I have a, what should I say, troubled relationship with golf because I recognized it early on as a really, a very important corporate skill. Yeah. 100%. I took lessons and more lessons and official weeks of lessons. And, uh, you know, it's definitely true that you don't need to like everything you need to do. I totally mm -hmm. get that. You know, you have kind of this end goal in mind. I could not find any love for that sport. You teach golf to kids. I yeah, I do for to teach them life skills. So it's a vehicle. Maybe you'll yeah. turn me around on golf. So what are, how, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So um, I'm going to throw out a free plug really quick for um, a friend who's doing something really incredible. Um, her name is Abby Liebenthal and she runs for F O R E the ladies for the ladies. Um, you should go look that up. It's so cool. Okay. I sent my sister. She <laughs> loved it. Um, all right. Moving on from four ladies. So I teach through an organization called First Tee, 
And First Tee doesn't think of themselves as a, a golf organization. They think of themselves as a life skills organization. And the process of doing anything hard, in this case, playing golf, uh, brings out a bunch of these things that for, for kids especially are important to learn uh, and talk about. And sometimes we don't talk about this stuff, uh, even as adults, uh, but stuff like goal setting, stuff like playing to your strengths, um, stuff like um, kind of going big picture and taking more into account. Uh, solving the same problem multiple different ways. Um, if you're a, if you're a golfer and you've ever been close to the green but not quite on it, you know that you're you've got some decisions to make, right? You can you can hit a nice high shot and try to float it in and, and stop it and not let it roll. You can hit one kind of medium and maybe try to put some spin on it, or you can hit one low and expect it to run out, right? Like that's three ways to do the same dang thing: move ball next to stick, right? Um, and it's fun for me as a coach to work with kids who are at that like super critical age, uh, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and start getting them to take a little bit of ownership of how they're going about their own mm -hmm. challenges that they've put out for themselves. You know, there's multiple ways to solve the same problem in golf and it's, mm -hmm. it's better to solve it the way that's best for you. So like, my favorite story about teaching kids golf is um, a chipping competition I was having with three of my students. And um, I was I was forcing them into a specific challenge. And I made one of the three who was technically the best golfer go first. And I said, you guys versus me, all three of you, whoever gets it closest to the pin versus me, I think I put like a burpee on it or something like that. Right? It was a silly little like make it worth your time, something just inconvenient enough that you don't want to do. Um, and the, the technically great kid went first and he hit a technically great shot. Um, and it, the end result was okay. Um, and then all the other kids in the group tried to do what he did. Like they tried mm. to copy him, but he has his 10,000 hours, right? Like he's a 12 year old golfer. All that kid does is play golf and he plays in North Carolina, which means he's probably like globally ranked. Um, and then I got lucky and I made mine. So obviously I won. Um, and then like we did the AAR, right? We talked about it. And I was like, what did you learn? And this little girl crushed me. She said, oh, you taught us that it's okay to bet on sports. It's like, no, <laughs> right? Like just, just totally defeated uh, as a coach. But then, you know, I, I, I owned the rest of the conversation. I said, no, like. Hey, like I, I made him go first on purpose because I wanted you guys to see him and then um, not do something that I know you're already good at. And then I mm. told like I, I reminded them of all the wonderful shots they had hit that day. And then I literally put the right club in their hand and was like, hey, do you feel more comfortable with this club? And they go, yeah, I feel way more comfortable with this club. Like, try it with this one. And they tried it with this one. And obviously I got my butt handed to me the next time and I did my burpee. Right. So. Um, that's kind of, that's why I like golf. I, I like golf as a vehicle. I, I wouldn't say I'm very good at golf, but, um, I really like coaching and mm -hmm. it's fun to be able to make, um, such a powerful impact at, at, at that like super critical age uh, and do it through something that I enjoy doing, which is playing golf. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks. Thank you for giving me a new perspective on golf. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. So 
yeah, I had, I will, I will change my mind. Yeah. Don't, don't keep score changes, changes the game. <laughs> I am highly competitive. So <laughs> I may have had ever so something slightly to do with it. Uh, no, but I, what I, what I used to say, used to say past tense was that why would I go and try to whack at a tiny ball with a long, from the end of a long stick? when I can go run after a green bouncing ball with a large, like a tennis racket. Oh yeah. Oh, it's just different. <laughs> just different. It's just different, but I love the life skills and I, that idea of focus and that idea of you can do it differently than the way other people do it. And yeah. that's yeah. great. I mean, tennis is cool too. I'm just, I'm just not good at tennis. <laughs> I don't know that much about it. Or, or are you talking I'm, about pickleball? Because that might be different. No, actually, no, tennis, tennis. <laughs> I haven't played pickleball, so oh, maybe I should try it. Sport in America. <laughs> some, I, some, I see some it everywhere. Some pickleball fan is going to take that sound bite and put Green Beret says pickleball is best sport. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hanging on a banner somewhere soon yeah. in North Carolina. You may drive by it. I can't wait. Uh, Honor, honored for the chance to inspire the retiree population of America. There you go. <laughs> go out and chase those pickleball dreams. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. I love this whole discussion of, I think what I'm going to take away most is potential energy and kinetic energy and kind of these different structures and the, the leaders bringing that, reminding people of the end state every day and so much more that you talked about here. So very impactful about messages and messaging. And I'm, and I'm grateful to find someone who loves commercials as much as I do. I appreciate it, Maureen. I had a blast. Um, honored to be here. And um, thanks for, for breaking me out of my shell a little bit and getting me to talk about skydiving and golf and commercials. Okay, great. Uh, so we'll see you next time on Message Engineer.